seeing what instant difference I could make on somebody by giving them a plate of food. That was a realization for me that I, that was something what I wanted to do. Uh, seeing that face of happiness and satisfaction and enjoyment of, of people on the table. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. There have been many people who started careers in other fields but were drawn to hospitality and made a real success of it. What role does tourism have on an increased interest in food for those that find a new career in hospitality? Julian Velasquez is the chef and co-owner of El Estanco in South Australia. Julian, how are you going? Yes, very good, thank you. Thanks for having me. You uh, built quite a huge career away from food for many years. Um, what was it that drew you to hospitality? Um, well, I guess mainly that uh, desire to give to, to people. Um, it's just, yeah, products. I grew up uh, with that family orientation where, like, I used to cook uh, Christmas dinners at home uh, for my family when I was not even uh, near being uh, in the hospitality industry. But that always was part of, of who we were, uh, just uh, the cooking and, and the sharing. You're originally from Colombia. Take us back to when you were young. What was food like in your family in Colombia? Um, well, it was very different to what is here, but uh, very good. So um, it was a sharing thing for, for us. Uh, well, we, I learned a lot from, from my grandmother, uh, which I still uh, put into practice uh, till this day. But uh, yeah, she, she always used to cook uh, for us as a family. Uh, we had a small farm as well. So my father used to cook for us. One thing that I always remember is uh, even if we were uh, five on the table, there was always uh, six, seven uh, portions uh, put on for uh, whoever uh, just uh, rocked in um, for the forester, he used to say. Um, so yeah, it was always about that sharing and about that, well, using stuff from the land. So most of the meals at the farm was just things that we raise or produce, um, whether vegetables or livestock. Um, so it, it was, was always part of, of my life, even though I was planning to go into a completely different field like politics and, uh, economics rather than than cooking and, and hospitality. Is there any um, feasts or dishes that you can tell us about uh, that you have fond memories of from your youth? Um, yes. I think one of the things that uh, bring bring a lot of memories was well, my, my father, again, he, he is a, a mud fisherman. Um, so we always have some sort of like whole fish in, in the fridge, just from him bringing things up and me as a, I don't know, I would have been maybe 12 or something like that. Uh, 
one day just decided to invite uh, my best friend for a for lunch and just proceeded to fill it a, a fish without not knowing uh, what I was doing really. <laughs> but, but I made it happen and, and just, yeah, create like a fish uh, with cheese and, and gratinated and it was really good. But like, it's something that uh, was, was always there part of, of what can I do uh, to, to make things uh, tasty. As I say, as a little kid, I was always playing in the kitchen with my mom or my grandmother, like with the pots and frying pans where they was just doing their jobs around. You studied politics and international relations at university, but you you set off on an adventure and traveled around the world. And tell us about what that experience was like and what the, the different food cultures were and what impact they had on you. Oh, that was huge. Um, that was huge. So I, when I finished uh, school in Colombia, it was always that willing to, to travel and, and experience. Uh, that was always part of, of me. Um, and luckily, my parents encouraged that uh, quite, quite a lot. So I moved to the UK uh, when I was 18. Um, and well, as you may realize, well, coming from Colombia to to a play like England will just open a, a completely different window uh, to be exposed, exposed to different cultures like Indian food, Asian food, uh, even, well, British cuisine. I live with a family there, so I was having meals with them uh, every night. Um, so that that brought my horizons quite quite a lot in terms of uh, cultures. Um, I went back to Colombia after one year, and then is when I start studying uh, politics uh, and inter- international relations. Um, but in the meantime, I've got myself a job in a in a hotel in Colombia as a concierge and. It's funny, I was always drawn to the kitchen. I became a pretty good friend with the, with the chef and, and found, found it fascinating what were we doing in the kitchen all the time uh, in there. Um, even though that, I still was uh, determined to, to be a diplomat or something like that. <laughs> then I moved to Australia and, and studied international relations in, in Brisbane. Uh, but at the same time, again, I used to cook always for friends, go to the markets and buy uh, fresh scallops and have to clean fresh scallops without never done it before. Uh, things things like that where I put myself into those situations, but with pleasure. Um, and I think that always taught me a lot of things, like a lot of the things that I know from traditional cooking I've learned them myself by reading, researching, um, and things like that, rather than it's so much that you can learn in school, basically, well, college. What drew you to move to Australia and, and Brisbane? And, and what was it like when you first arrived? Were you surprised by the, the food culture? Uh, yes. 
yes, that's basically surprise. Yes, it was a far, far away country for, for me, really. I remember I came the long way. I came via Europe. So it took me like 48 hours uh, flying time to get to, to Australia. Um, but never really felt in a strange place in terms of food um, for so many reasons. Um, I live in my first, we'll say, four years with a lot of international students because of uni. Um, and they all had their own pieces of, of food. So I live with a lot of Brazilians, which kept me kind of grounded to, to home. Um, as we share a lot of traditional food that is quite, quite similar, uh, beans, stews, and things like that. Um, then as well, I was living with Koreans and Japanese people, so they all had their little bit of influence in, in that uh, home cooking uh, for us. We used to very often just like do one meal for all of us, and somebody was just kind of in charge of cooking. So it was a lot of a lot of sharing. Um, yeah, it was, as I said, not not on the horizon to to end up in the kitchen. Really, it kind of gradually happened. I remember my dad saying when I was working in the hotel back in Colombia, he did suggest uh, to for me to study hospitality uh, and tourism instead of uh, politics and international relations. And I said to him, nonsense, dad. Like, that's not what I want to do. <laughs> and here we are. Um, yes, it's just, but I guess I had to find that that path myself, really. Uh, the more things progresses, the more drawn to the, to the kitchen and to the restaurant scene I was. Um, so it became, once I finished uni in Brisbane, it became more clear for me that I, I needed to, to change. So there were not many options for me either. Well, to stay in Australia was either continue with international relations or going through cooking and, and becoming a chef. Um, so yeah, at that moment it was pretty much clear, like where, where did I want it to go? So I chose uh, to go into TAFE and start studying cookery. Well, tell us about uh, your time in Brisbane and the restaurants you worked in. What were the real key sort of moments when you were building your career as a chef? Um, I guess it was when we went out for a work experience. Um, for us, it was a little bit different as an international student back there, like you could not take an apprenticeship as such. So we had to take a full-time uh, course of cooking for, for two years. So you didn't have that industry connection in the same way as, as Australians did back in then. Um, so we just have to wait and every six months we have to go for placement for, uh, for six months. Um, I chose to go to the best restaurants that I could 
fine, even if there was not a good pay or no pay at all. Uh, in many places, uh, I decided to work for free just for the for the experience. Um, that was one place called Janis back in the day, which I think it has uh, transformed and these days is called uh, Moda. Um, it just showed me what a real kitchen was, like the stress in the kitchen, the, the pace, the attention for detail. I was really lucky to work with really passionate chefs. Uh, at the same time, in one of my work experience, I I always went to knock doors. I, I did send my resumes, but I was not really waiting for uh, for them to, to call me back. So I used to go to the restaurant and, and ask to talk to the chef, uh, introduce myself, explain them what I was doing. Uh, and all, all, all this, I guess, just opened a few more doors for me than, than others. I remember out of my class, we were maybe 20. As for this moment, probably two of us are still in the kitchen or doing cooking. The rest just move on to different industries and different places. Um, so yeah, it was, I, I worked with the international chefs, so French chefs, obviously Australian, Spanish, um, even Scottish. So that, that just gave me a good overview of what a real kitchen was and, and how mental uh, the place is. But I, I love that uh, that that rush. And I guess it's just like gluttony for a uh, punishment. <laughs> but but it's, 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 it's good. You eventually moved to Adelaide. What what triggered that? And um, tell us about your time early on in Adelaide. So Adelaide was as well. Is yeah. I, I I don't know if he's believe in that or not, but it kind of things were meant to to be. I used to travel quite a lot to to Adelaide to visit a a good friend that lived with me in Brisbane. Uh, on the first first years, he moved to to Adelaide for a for a studies, and I used to come and visit quite quite a bit. And I was always fascinated by by the wine regions, um, especially the Barossa. I remember the first trip we we made a trip to the Barossa, and, and it was we well, fell in love with the place straight away. Um, that was not the reason why I moved, like initially, but circumstances changed, and I got a job offer from from a restaurant. Uh, in Adelaide, and a bit of an iconic place called Universal Wine Bar. Um, and then, so yeah, decided to to make the change. So just finished my my job in in Brisbane, um, and moved permanently to to Adelaide. It was well, again chasing the the products. I was quite lucky, for example, when I was lucky uh, working in Brisbane and. Uh, we used to go through 
about 800 kilos of muscles uh, a week. Wow. Um, so I got sent to visit the, the supplier um, in Port Lincoln um, and just visit the, the muscle farms. And so that was a, for me a realization of what kind of products uh, you could find in this part of the world. Uh, vegetables, uh, meat, like lamb was coming from South Australia. Amazing wine was coming from South Australia. Um, so that was another reason for me as well to to move and yeah, always been really keen to travel and visit new places and try new experiences. So I'll I say yeah, I'll do it um, and I move. Um, then I, yeah, I work at the Universal Wine Bar for about four years as a head chef. Tell us about the sort of food that you were cooking there. Um, that was. A bit of a challenge <laughs> for me um, as it was the owners of the restaurant at the time were uh, an older uh, Italian person, um, which was quite, quite interesting because he wanted me to recreate uh, his mother's uh, dishes back in Italy uh, when I didn't have any idea of what he was expecting. So it took a lot of me to, to read and doing research uh, about Italian Italian cooking and traditional cooking and not just the usual uh, spaghetti bolognese type of thing, um, just to, to make him happy with what he wanted to see on, on the menu. Um, I had a lot of help from his sister. So Vito, he would be maybe around 80 years old at the moment. So is going like back long way in, in Italian cooking in terms of uh, time. So his sister was a, a chef. She was the first female, I think, uh, executive chef in, in Australia, as far as I can remember, um, Marie Romano. So she, she helped me quite, quite a lot in, in order to, to get all this, this knowledge on, on the table, which was quite interesting. He, every now and then used to arrive to work with a box of a whole cuttlefish or the plaque of a pig, so the head and all the organs for me to to create dishes uh, that were traditional and, and push me push me in that way to to look past the, the normal things that were being offered uh, on normal menus. Your love for traveling uh, eventually led to working on the Ghan and the Indian Pacific uh, for a couple of years. How did that gig come about, and, and what was it like cooking on a on a long journey train? Um, it was very interesting. Um, it was, I'll say, probably one of the best experiences of of my life. Um, again, as I said, things just kind of align and. I remember thinking when I was back in Brisbane that I wanted to do a journey on a train from Sydney to, to Perth. Um, I was not really aware of the GAN or the Indian Pacific or how they operate. and so. But that thought was on my head as a, as a tourist. Um, 
once I finish at Universal Wimbabwe, I start looking for uh, for jobs. I look for jobs in Kangaroo Island. I look for jobs in the mine. Um, I had my eyes set on opening my own place then. So it was a transitional job, which I was intended to do for six months. And it sucked me in. Um, and I ended up doing a little bit over three years. Um, but it was amazing. So it, it was an experience like, like no other. Um, we did cook everything to order from fresh. So it was working like an a la carte restaurant, uh, which make it really, really challenging considering the, the space and the equipment that we had to, to work with. Um, the teams were obviously very small, so there was only two chefs in each kitchen for up to 120 guests. Um, and yeah, really, really long hours. But again, like that, that's something that motivates me. Like I need challenges like that in life, um, where I can push, push my limits, um, and yeah, so I learned a lot more as well in terms of working on, on confined spaces and being organized, uh, stock supplies. Like we couldn't have things delivered every day like we do in a normal restaurant. So we needed to be very meticulous to the kind of stock that we order and, and how much stuff. So at the beginning, it it was like opening and closing a restaurant every week. That's the way I, I used to put it. Because we used to have to order the goods, receive them into an empty kitchen, store them, count them, see if we needed to get some extras, start cooking. And but the end of the trip was the same story. So we needed to return the train with an empty kitchen. Uh, complete, clean, and, and organized. So it was like, yeah, opening a close and closing a restaurant every every week. It was quite quite interesting. The Ghanaian Indian Pacific is tro- quite a quite an adventure and quite an extravagant experience for those that go on board for that long form of travel. What sort of food were you cooking? Do you have a dish or two you can tell us about from from that time? Um, yeah, so they were having changes, like they were trying to get the menus to have the same journey as the train. Um, so, which was amazing because we were using products from the regions that we were passing to every, every meal. So for example, on the gun, as we went up, we start changing to game and using uh, kangaroo loins. And at some point we have like a buffalo curry, um, cocoa dry tail sausages, obviously the iconic baramandi. So that the menu followed the journey of the train. Um, the same going towards a uh, with the with the lamb so going through the Nalabor plains uh, was all about those big uh, 
ship stations. So we used to have a a Ross lamb dinner uh, off the train uh, in the middle of nowhere for the guests one of the night. Wow. Um, salt bush lamb. Um, so, yeah, it was very interesting. It was eye-opening to see well, how many different products and, and good things come from from this country. Uh, the same with the cheeses. So we was changing from a products from uh, New South Wales uh, to South Australia, Western Australia. Um, it, it was, yeah, it was amazing. Tell me about El Estanco. When did the idea of it first um, come to light and how did you pull that together? El Estanco. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's another uh, crazy uh, train ride, really. So... <laughs> basically by uh, that was always in the back of my mind that I wanted to have my own place that was the the end result of being a being a chef um was not becoming the executive chef of of the Hilton or anything like that but just to to have my own my own space um I didn't really know in which shape or form but sometimes the idea was to go back to Colombia and take over the farm and created something uh, in the farm in the shape of a restaurant or something like that Um, but at some point when I finished at Universal Wine Bar I had a visit from a winemaker that I have met through all those years of visiting the Barossa and and we were spoken and said, I'm about to finish here. And he mentioned that he had a little cottage um, in Grenock that his parents used to live at. And he wanted to to rent it for, for a business, um, that he wanted to run a business himself. Um, but he would be happy for somebody to open a, a food business in there. And I said, well, this is the my opportunity to to jump into into that goal so i say yes i'll i'll do it um, from there to to doing uh, the actual restaurant to those three years that i got sucked into the train um, so it was a lot of back and forwards and discussions about uh, am i going to open it it was a big leap for faith for me as well like as much as i was doing a uh, good hours and getting good money on, on the trains, uh, like it was a big commitment and an investment uh, to open my own business. Um, but yeah, at some point at, towards the end of those two and a half, three years, I, I say is now or, or never. Uh, so I say, let's, let's do this. Let's open. Um, I carry one of my chefs from, from universal wine bar and he helped me uh, open the, the restaurant. I remember I opened with $300. That's all the money I had left on my pocket to go to to the shops and buy a product um, to start cooking. This is after well, buying coffee machine and plates and whatnot. And all these bits and pieces, uh, a lot of the furniture, uh, we end up doing uh, ourselves out of pallets and things like that. Um, 
and yeah, we just opened the doors and it kind of slowly start growing from from there. Uh, I had a lot of things to to learn in order to to get to where we are now, um, but it it started at least like we had the doors open and we were uh, selling coffee and breakfasts and we had an overwhelming response for the first month, which was a little bit uh, crazy. I had in the back of my head the idea of I would still do one or two trips in the trains and then come back. Uh, it was just not, I couldn't. I, I needed to be there every day um, to, to, make it a, to make it work. Um, and yeah, it, it, it had a very good response from, from the locals and, and people around, around the Barossa. Um, and yeah, it, it gave the community something a little bit different to what they were used to. Um, we brought obviously all those South American influence into the kitchen and different flavors and like a different vibe, like different style of service. Uh, even though we were a small place to be called a cafe, we had all this experience working on fine dining restaurants and the train and like good background to to put really good meals on, on the plate. Um, so I think that opened the eyes for, uh, for, for the locals and customers of being able to go to a cafe type of establishment, but getting the quality uh, on the plate of, of a restaurant. Um, and that, that set us apart from, from a lot of the places and gave us a lot of room for, uh, for growing. Um, on that process, I met my, my partner, which now is for my life partner and my business partner. I think that make things, uh, just go a little bit, uh, extra on, on what we wanted to to a shift um she was a chef as well on a local restaurant um in the barossa which was a make well amazing because we could just uh, bounce off each other uh, with ideas and and things so at the well nearly six six months mark of of having a Lestanko, uh, we had that conversation and and say, well, let's, let's join efforts and let's do this together. Um, and then, yeah, ever since she's, well, the other half of, of El Estanco, just the two of us getting this, uh, on this journey together. Well, tell us about how that works in the kitchen with Abby being a chef and you being a chef and you leaning into your uh, heritage with Colombian um, cuisine. Um, what, how, do, how does that work? How do you work together and um, what, what sort of food are you creating there? Um, it has always been drawn to, to the South American uh, flavors. So we have always, well, because of passion and that's what we know and that's what we 
want to show the rest of of Australia and the Barossa is what what we have to offer. Um, and also that just gives us that point of difference from any other place around around the area really. Um, we do research so that's where bits and pieces like the Italian uh, experience with Universal One Bar came to to play a good role. Um, it just takes us to research for recipes and, and food that is not the normal South American offering that, that you find uh, everywhere. Um, for example, we do Mexican food every now and then as well. Um, and it's all about finding ingredients, dried chilies, making sauces out of a scratch of what they would do using fire um, just to create that traditional from the land experience on, on the plate. Um, she's all passionate about about that as well. Um, she doesn't spend as much time in the kitchen with us at the moment as this business has grown quite a bit that requires somebody to be uh, at the front and, and on the office. Um, but we, we always work really well together, um, bouncing uh, ideas into what we want to see on the plate and, and tasting, uh, helping each other uh, with, with research um, and, and that type of things. Um, at the moment, we're quite short of staff, so she's back in the kitchen with us, which is good. Uh, keep me on my toes, as you <laughs> can imagine, uh, the, the idea of a husband and wife uh, in, the, in the kitchen working uh, side by side is it's, it's a, a time bomb <laughs> in a good way, in a good way. Um, yeah, it's, it's always been our passion. Like she grew up uh, in, in a farm. So she always had that as well, a uh, passion for a paddock to play the type of food. And that was what I was doing uh, when I started the Lestanco. Um, we did a lot of catering to going uh, into vineyards and, and cooking for a group of 80 people uh, just out on the on the paddocks, um, so do a whole lamp on the on the cross uh, where we use only wood and fire to to cook all the ingredients. Um, so that was another side of the business that we we created. Uh, we did uh, participated uh, into tasting Australia a couple of years ago uh, with uh, an event on on those lines where we put on the plate fine dining type of food but there is no electricity or combi oven uh, use or gas it's all just made on on the spot with coals and, and fire um, and that's one that, that's one of my biggest passions so when we created our second restaurant we worked really hard to make sure we had a, a grill and a fire element in the kitchen uh, which we we have now um, which has yeah allowed us to do a lot of what we like in in the normal restaurant service. 
you have a real focus on local producers and artisans. Is is there any um, that you can tell us about that have been really integral uh, with what you do? Um, yes, we always been trying to use the the local guys until this point. X are being supplied uh, from the local uh, egg farm, <laughs> if you can call it uh, that way. Um, the butcher, we work with the local butchers uh, for small goods and uh, bacon and and meat, especially. So pork and beef, they, they come from, uh, from the local... Uh, the local producers um, is is hard sometimes to maintain that restaurant continuity when produce are so limited. Um, so that's why one of the reasons, for example, we we had a blackboard menu in in the first Celestanco. Um, so it consisted of about four breakfast dishes and four uh, lunch dishes, and they were changed every week. So let's say I used to get my hands on some local venison, um, which we used to buy the whole carcass and just go through it until we finish it. Um, well, I was doing a, the venison loins to start with and then working towards the other cuts to get venison pies, venison stock. Um, so once that was finished, that was off the menu, basically. So it was not, we need to reorder a venison to continue with this. We just work on something else. Um, so that's how we have uh, worked with, with local suppliers. The same, we go to the Barossa Farmers Market every weekend and to buy fruit and veg. Um, and yeah, as I said, pork, for example, come from, from one of them as well, uh, but just distributed from the local butcher um, in Mount Pleasant. So yeah, it's always been uh, trying to have that relationship of them as well, visiting the restaurant, eating what we have to offer. Uh, um, the same with the wine producers. Um, we'll just try to keep them involved and, and participate with, with them in, in creating a, events and, and things like that where we can work together. You didn't plan on a career in hospitality, but you found yourself in, in Adelaide cooking food influenced by your heritage and with great success. So what is it that you love about what you do? Um, going back to what makes me change which I remember having a bit of a frustration with what was happening with my international relations uh, studies um, and seeing what instant difference I could make on somebody by giving them a plate of food um, that was a realization for me that I that was something what I wanted to do. Um, seeing that face of happiness and satisfaction and 
enjoyment of of people on the table while they were uh, eating the their meals uh, and talking to them. And I, I think that's been amazing on the process of getting to where we are. Um, as I said, when I started the first El Estanco, on the first six months, I did everything. Um, I served tables, I made coffee, I cooked their meals, and I put their meals on the tables as well as clear their plates. So I have that really connection with with the customer and with the people that I was serving. Uh, and so just got to see that progression of them getting into my place, eating, enjoying it, sharing the experiences of how we did cook tea. So every now and then we used to just take them to the back of the restaurant where we have a, a wood fire oven and, and show them around and explain them uh, well, how we got to cook uh, that piece of meat that they were eating uh, on the plate and things like that. Uh, just create this, this sense of, of satisfaction and, and enjoyment. Well, Julian, uh, we look forward to seeing what you do next. Uh, we've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds today to share your story. Uh, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Well, thank you very much, Anthony, for having me. And yeah, can't wait. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.